in our Serving Habits series, let me, um, let me pray to get us centered here real quick, because um, I think that will kind of just get us focused, and then we're going to go through this real quick, and then you guys are going to have an hour in your small groups, Lord willing, I'd probably say 55 minutes, to really get to know each other, talk, and, and really process this stuff together. So let's pray, um, thanking God for what he does and praying for his word. Lord Jesus, your word is truth, your word is powerful, and your word is direct, God, and we pray that we would hear you speak. Take the junk out of our ears, carve the stone off of our hearts. God, may tonight be full of aha moments, and may it truly be honoring to you. So God, get our attention, and we ask this all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. All right, so... What we've been talking about here is what are the practices that personify a Christian? And is there a primary practice that the habit of serving and loving people is? So we're trying to ask, is serving people and loving people, does it matter? And it is a mark of Christians. And we talked in the very beginning about how this is rooted in identity. And we talked about how things like mission and ministry and service and truth-telling and hospitality and gratitude, they aren't suggestions they are identity markers or character traits of God's people. These are supposed to be the things that somebody goes, there's something behind what you do and why you do it. And we talked about how the nature and the purpose of the church is not simply for us to come in and be fed and to be well taught and to just be inspired and to be just satisfied in our spiritual identity. The nature and purpose of the church has always been to form new lifestyles and new identities. And that's always a new lifestyle that's defined by God's purpose and God's mission. And so we talked about a passage in the very beginning, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15, that talks about the reality that Jesus Christ died on behalf of and in the place of all human beings. Therefore, he was our representative and he was our substitute. And that saves us. That gives us salvation. That's what changes our lives at the core. But then in that passage, Paul says, he did that so that, and he brings in this whole concept of, he did that so you will realize that you no longer live to your dead ex-self. You now live a new life to him and to his purpose. So the purpose of his death now affects your perspective and your purpose in life. And then we went through this statement that I hope has been burned into your mind. That comes from Warren Wiersbe, and he says the definition of ministry, of service, of mission is this. Service and ministry happens when God's resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. And we've been walking through those each week. And you guys remember the first week, all those papers in the back on the sound booth were defining what are just God's resources that he's put just in you and in your small group. And then Brett talked about what does it look like for us to meet human needs? What are all the human needs around us? How are we even supposed to approach those? And then last week we talked about how do you be a loving channel, a spiritual funnel, with the motivation always being Christ's love. And we talked about 1 John 4, 19 to 21, where it says we love because he first loved us. That the thing that makes you even do this is not because you're told to. Because you guys... You've heard me rant on it, and you, and you know that you're un, unsatisfied with it when you're just doing rules because you're told to. There has to be a rationale and a motivation behind it, and it's supposed to be the love of Christ because it shows that there's something greater behind your action. 
We talked about how we're supposed to pray more that God would increase our love for others as loving channels. We talked about how being a loving channel doesn't just nourish us, but it's for the one being used by God to be blessed. So God will bless you as you are a loving channel. And then tonight, you guys, we're talking about this final piece and the final end goal of this, that you do service and ministry not because it makes you look like a good Christian, not because you can then check a box and say, I've done my service hours, which you guys, unfortunately, our education system has a lot of this burned into you more than the church does, that we go, I have to get my community service hours because I sign like 80 of those now a year. And a lot of us, that becomes our reason in the church. And this tells you when we talk about it being to God's glory that it's not about you looking like a better Christian. It's not about you checking a box, but it's all to God's glory. It's not concerned about you promoting yourself or even your church. One of the things I've loved about a lot of service projects I've done is I don't even feel like I have to say we're from Bridgewood. Yes, you can use it as a tool to point people to church, but sometimes it's just going, no, God loves you. That's the basics that that person needs to know. First Peter 4.11 Peter talks about how he says, if anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. That the whole purpose that comes out of what you're serving is that Jesus would be praised. Matthew 5 implies the same thing where it talks about how God is glorified when people see the Lord and not the servant. That people actually see through your action to past you to the God behind you and within you. And so this is always for his namesake and for his glory. Service and ministry is always about making God's name known and the way that he has blessed us and the way that he has shown his love and in his faithfulness. You're not, a serving, you're not just serving people, but you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you make that the rationale from which you work, that helps you not to worry about pleasing everybody. Because sometimes when we start doing service and mission and trying to do something for people, we care about what they think so much about us or about whether they're pleased. And so we don't remember that. It doesn't matter. Because what I care about is what they think of God from this. There's a, there's a famous pastor and writer named John Piper, and he terms it this way. And it's one of the most profound statements for me when it comes to the idea of where service and ministry becomes mission, both locally and globally. And he says, missions exist. Because worship doesn't. Think about that for a second. The reason why you even do missions, the reason why you even do service or ministry is because for so many people on this earth, they don't know Jesus Christ. They don't understand who God is. And therefore, they're not worshiping him. And we are created to be worshiping beings. And we were always created to worship one and one alone. God. And so he says... Mission happens because worship doesn't. Mission is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. And so when you do service and you do ministry, and even if you're doing evangelism, we're not merely on a mission to save people from hell or to help the less fortunate, but you're there to bring the fame and the splendor and the glory of the redeeming God into full view of all people so that everybody can live out their exact purpose to worship their Lord and Savior, to see him as king and his reign, his power, as the guiding and central piece for their life. The end goal has always been for a worldwide worshiping people. 
which when you go to the book of Revelation, that's what the entire end is about. I know that we read a book like Revelation, and we kind of get scared, and we get freaked out, because what we see, what we think is the majority, is people dying, or being judged, or being wiped out in the end of the world. And yes, Revelation includes all that. But from the very beginning to the very end, spattered all throughout it, is people worshiping God. And not just some people. Over and over again, it says people of all languages, all tribes, all nations, all peoples, all ethnicities. This is global worship happening. Um, And scripture, you guys, doesn't just talk about that in Revelation. You go to the Old Testament, and you get prophetic books that we never read, like Zephaniah. And Zephaniah 3 talks about how all of the people, all of them, may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. And it's not talking about that just for Israel. It's saying that all people would not just call on God, but they would serve him shoulder to shoulder. Isaiah 19.23, you see this picture that for an Israelite was profound because it says there will become a point when Egypt, Assyria, and Israel would worship together at God's city and God's throne. Now think about that in the context of being somebody from the Old Testament. Egypt is the place that had you in slavery. Egypt is the, is the place that was oppressing you. Assyria was the nation that came down, surrounded and sieged their cities, killed most of their people, and took them as prisoners into exile. And now God is writing that all people, including those people, are going to come and worship together? That's how big, that's how central God's glory and God's worship is. The Psalms, which is if you ever want to read a book that resonates with your heart the most, Read the book of Psalms, because that is writer after writer, and a lot of them David, expressing how life feels as they engage in worship with God. And Psalms is actually a missionary book, because it's songs that are often calling and inspiring people to praise God's glory and exalt him and serve him more. And it's a song book. It's like turning on your radio station. Let me read you guys a story because I think when you look at all this, the thing you have to realize is that when you start doing service and you start doing ministry and you understand why this is important and the motivation of this, when you start doing this and you start watching people's lives react, then that suddenly starts propelling you. So let me read you guys a story and then We'll say a couple comments and we'll send you out. This is the 1940s in Romania. Christianity has become dramatic with us, a leader of the underground church in communist Romania says. When Christians in free countries win a soul for Christ, a new believer may be a member of a a quietly living church. But when those in captive nations win someone, we know that he may have to go to prison, that his children may become orphans. The joy of having brought someone to Christ is always mixed with this feeling that there is a price that must be paid. While I was still living behind the Iron Curtain, I had met a Russian captain. He loved God. He longed after God, but he had never seen a Bible. He had never attended religious services. He had no religious education, but he loved God without the slightest knowledge of him. And he says, I read to him the Sermon on the Mount and the parables of Jesus. And after hearing them, he danced around the room in rapturous joy, proclaiming, what a wonderful beauty. How can I live without knowing this Christ? 
And he says, it was the first time I saw someone jubilating in Christ. Then I made a mistake. I read to him the passion and the crucifixion of Christ without having prepared him for this. He had not expected it. When he heard how Christ was beaten, how he was crucified, and that in the end he died, he fell in an armchair and began to weep bitterly. He had believed in a Savior, and now his Savior was dead. I looked at him, and I was ashamed to call myself a Christian and a pastor and a teacher of others. I had never shared the sufferings of Christ as this Russian officer now shared them. Looking at him was for me like seeing Mary Magdalene weeping at the foot of the cross or at the empty tomb. Then I read him the story of the resurrection, and when he heard this wonderful news that the Savior arose from the tomb, he slapped his knees and shouted for joy, He's alive! He's alive! And again, he danced around the room, overwhelmed with happiness. And I said, let's pray. And he fell on his knees together with me, and he did not know our holy phrases. His words of prayer were simply, Oh God, what a fine chap you are. If I were you, and you were me, I would never have forgiven you your sins. But you really, really are a very nice chap, and I love you with all my heart. He says, I think that all the angels in heaven stopped what they were doing to listen to this sublime prayer from the Russian officer. When this man received Christ, he knew he would immediately lose his position, that prison and perhaps death in jail would almost surely follow. And he prayed, paid the price. He was ready to lose everything. One of the things that happens, you guys, when we start taking the steps of living out our faith and what we proclaim to be real and proclaim to be true is that when you start going and you start serving people and you start ministering to them and you start having access to their life and you get a chance to start speaking as much as you get a chance to start acting, then you start seeing these joyful, powerful expressions of people getting and one of the things, you guys, that I think has happened is that so many of us have gathered in churches where we're all the same. We all have the same knowledge. We spend more time serving one another. And so we don't see these people dancing around, overwhelmed by their encounter of Jesus. And when you sit long enough, and you just spin your wheels, and you don't see somebody freshly encounter Jesus, and that jubilant joy, and that dancing around, of course you're going to get dry. Of course you're going to get bored. Of course, this is going to feel like, is this worth it, and is this something real? And this kind of leads in a little bit to what our next series is going to be about. What do you talk about? What are the habits of speaking? But I think that the habits of speaking, if a, if a habit of serving hasn't started, the speaking often won't have as much connection if people don't see that you are going to meet human needs by being a loving channel, drawing on God's resources. And in the end, you guys, it's watching people praise Jesus. It's watching people get it about what the cross is all about. It's watching people be excited when they see what the resurrection means and what it means to be new, that that starts making you then go, this 
is what following after my king and my savior is all about. And you guys, I'm not an evangelist. But I know that God's glory and people having an encounter like this is what it's all about. It's not us gathering to be entertained. It's not us gathering just to have a holy huddle. It's that we would serve people everywhere. And you guys are going to have some hard questions you're going to go through in your small group. Because you're going to get that question of, if I am not serving, am I living out the Christian faith? That is a slap in the face question. And if you're someone that's new to the faith and you don't even know, I, I encourage you to ask more questions and to ask these things. So we're going to break out into our small groups, and you guys have about 55 minutes to meet. So freshmen, this corner, sophomores, back of the couches, juniors.